This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Charlie Arnold. We've got some good news this morning. A few pieces of good news. One... In case you haven't looked at your calendar, it's Friday, our favorite day of the week. We are done uh, here shortly, at least most of us. Uh, But for those of you out here or out there who do work weekends, because I know some of you do, not trying to rub it in, I worked weekends for a very long time. Hang in there. The days of working weekends, hopefully at some point, will be behind you. But until then, um, let's just celebrate the fact that it's Friday. Also, the fact that my cell phone works again, which is something that we're going to be talking about in just a few minutes. Caused me a lot of issues yesterday, but um, my best friend is back in action, and uh, we're happy about it. Another good news, punter Matt Ariza getting a second chance in the NFL, and I will say, finally, and another piece of good news, he's getting it from the back-to-back Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. So the former Buffalo Bills punter, who was cut by the team that drafted him in the sixth round of the 2022 draft, He's been out of the league since August of 2022 when, remember, the allegations of his involvement in a 2021 rape of a 17-year-old at San Diego State came up. Now, there was a police investigation. It found absolutely no evidence to support the rape allegation. So, Ariza was not criminally charged by prosecutors. There was also an SDSU investigation that cleared Ariza. Now, Ariza spoke with Outkicks Tommy Laren back in May and said this about the whole idea of cancel culture and also about if he thought he would ever get an opportunity to play in the NFL again, despite being innocent. Listen. Oh, I want to go now to when you found out from your team, from the Buffalo Bills, that they decided to cut you. What was the conversation around that? Did they say that was specifically because of these allegations or how did that go down? Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't for talent, which is a shock to me growing up my whole life, wanting to be a pro athlete. You know, the thought is if I'm good enough, I'll be able to have that career and, and play at that level. But um, that wasn't the case. I was cut because of these allegations. And look, I hold nothing against the Buffalo Bills. I wish things were handled differently, but they did treat me with respect, uh, which I appreciate. It's just the climate of how things are now. Um accusations bring so much hate to anyone who decides to stand by the accuser that uh, they were kind of forced to to cut me from the team. Yeah, I mean, I guess forced to cut him from the team. That is probably the nice way of saying it. Um, I'm really happy that Matt Arise is getting this second opportunity. Also, uh, let it be known that he was cleared in a civil lawsuit filed by the alleged victim. So absolutely No wrongdoing found on the part of Matt Ariza. Now, despite being cleared and working out for the New York Jets last year, like we just mentioned, he has not had a chance to play in the NFL. He has not been welcomed onto any team until yesterday. Like I just said, Kansas City Chiefs, he's now part of the squad. Not a bad one to be a part of, especially after they just won their second Super Bowl in back-to-back years. Now, Ariza said this in a statement after getting signed. Quote, I am a proud and honored to sign a contract with the Chiefs. I'm thrilled to be able to continue my NFL career. I want to thank my family, who have been my rock, and my many friends who have been unwavering 
and their support. So before we get to the other details in the context surrounding the story, I also just want to make it very clear again. I'm very happy Matariza is getting this chance to play again. I think that it's going to be a precedent that is set for other teams who are maybe looking at players who have had their names dragged through the mud for absolutely no reason at all, uh, who have been accused of doing horrible things that they were then found innocent of. And I think that this is great. I hope that Matt Ariza gets on the Chiefs. I hope he plays out of his mind. And I hope that he's treated with respect by his teammates and also the coaching staff, the front office, everybody. Um, and he's able to really just start this second chapter in his career because obviously as a young guy, getting this massive opportunity to go to the NFL, it feels like something was really ripped from him uh, and probably could scar him in a way that could affect him throughout his entire life. So this is great news. Hats off to Matt Ariza, And I will say best of luck to you, like I just said, in this second chapter of your career. But this begs the question, because this is also another a guy who has been through a similar incident. Trevor Bauer had his name dragged through the mud, was proven innocent in so many different ways, in the most public of ways. And he's even come out and acknowledged the things that he could have done differently in the past. So why hasn't he been signed to an MLB team yet? He last pitched in the MLB three years ago. He served the longest domestic violence suspension MLB has ever handed down for a crime, again, that he did not commit. All criminal and civil charges have been dropped and found innocent. He has been found innocent of any wrongdoing. So here he is, 33 years old. He's even older than Matt Ariza. And he's having to deal with the fact that he might have to go back overseas to pitch another season if he can't get a spot on an MLB roster. He pitched last season in Japan, might have to do the same again this year. I think that would be horrible. Uh, I think just like Matt Ariza, he should be welcomed back into MLB. He's clearly a very talented athlete, a very talented pitcher, and still he has absolutely no offers. Even, remember, he volunteered to sign on a team for a minimum salary. And that's not even something he should contemplate doing in all actuality because, I mean, he's a Cy Young Award winner. He's an incredible athlete, an incredible pitcher. I think everybody knows that. The only thing is that he made some comments on Twitter uh, after everything started going down. He was calling out MLB owners and Commissioner Rob Manfred. And it seems like maybe that's coming back to get him. This is the tweet that he had put up. He said, no idea who made this new playoff format proposal, but Rob is responsible for releasing it. So I'll direct this to you, Rob Manfred. Your proposal is absurd for so many reasons to type on Twitter and proves you have absolutely no clue about baseball. You're a joke. Probably not the best thing to say the commissioner of the league, uh, but he did come back out. Uh, I spoke with him personally one-on-one -on -one back in January he said he definitely regretted making those public statements and has since grown up in the face of adversity. So we'll see what happens. I tend to believe he's not going to get an opportunity in MLB this season. I don't know why. That's just what my gut is telling me. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe there's someone that will go out on a limb and say, despite the fact that this might cause somewhat of a bit of a distraction at the beginning of, you know, all of it happening and maybe people having things to say, uh, this person, this man, has been proven to do absolutely nothing wrong. 
uh, he's innocent and therefore should not have to deal with any repercussions that would come along with being guilty. Okay, everybody, now we move on to this little gadget that I'm holding in my hand, very near and dear to my heart. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there who have the same thing, feeling very close to their cell phones. Because yesterday, everybody was freaking out, including myself. None of us could use our phones. And we're just going to refer to it as the great cell phone scare of 2024, unless something even greater happens. Uh, But so far, this has been the biggest one yet of the year, obviously. Uh, This predominantly affected AT&T customers. Some... T-Mobile and Verizon uh, that we're, at least that some news outlets are reporting, Fox Business being one of them, but predominantly AT&T users were the ones going through hell yesterday. 75,000 people reported the outages. Now, those are just people that reported the outages. I didn't report the outage. Most people that I know didn't report. So just imagine how many people actually were going through it. Hundreds of thousands of people, at least. Potentially, I would even venture to say probably a million Millions. I'm not really sure. I have to imagine most people weren't reaching out to AT&T because, well, they couldn't use their phones. So how are you going to reach out? Um, but the, the thing was, is outage in no service. They were trending all day long on Twitter. Uh, so I decided to go through along with my producers and we, we decided to find some of the funniest posts on X that we absolutely could. So here's the first one that we found that was pretty comical. Having a cell phone outage on National Tequila Day is purposeful. No drunk calls, texts for y'all. That's true. Uh, Which is probably a good thing, right? Drunk texts, drunk calls, never never really end up being such a great idea. Usually regret those ones. So maybe it was was lucky that this happened on National Tequila Day. Uh, Here's another one. This is from AshB0339. Biden playing, oh, that's actually not from Ashby, it's from Philip Peake. Biden playing with the shut up peasants button, only not sure it's a wrong answer. Sounds like something Biden would do. Doesn't want to hear from anybody, gets the day off. Today we're back at it. Sorry, Joe Biden. Uh, And then there's this one. This is a good one. Come on, you know it was white supremacy. Always an excuse for something, right? If you can't think of anything, blame it on white supremacy. Uh, So here's the question. What exactly did cause the outage? Because I'm going to be honest, there's the conspiracy theorist in me that wants to make all types of claims. But before I go ahead and do that, because I know people will come for me if I do, let's go ahead and bring in cybersecurity expert Morgan Wright to do some real investigating. Hello, Morgan. How are you on this morning now that all of our phones are finally working? Well, yeah, good morning, Charlie. We have we have avoided one of the great tragedies of our decade by getting the service up and running. Thank God. Okay, so let's get into it, Uh, because a lot of people, their imaginations were running wild yesterday. Right. Uh, AT&T posted an update saying that the company does not believe that there was any type of cyber attack. Uh, but that being said, federal officials in the FBI and FCC, they've said they need maybe some more time to fully investigate or at least completely determine whether bad actors were involved. So based on what you know so far, Morgan, what do you think actually happened yesterday? You know, so uh, I'm going to disappoint some people. I'm going to say it's not a conspiracy. It, w- it wasn't a grand plan. Here's what you see happen. If you remember a couple years ago, a big company, a very stable company like Amazon Web Services, they had a huge outage. 
took down many websites, took down a lot of stuff. There are these things inside these massively complex systems that happen. They're basically black swan events. They happen so infrequently, it's very hard to plan for them. At the end of the day, my belief, first of all, AT&T, very risk averse. You know, you have to be careful what you say because of litigation. So for them to come out and say they don't believe it was a cyber attack, that would come back to bite them if they went out without some mm. kind of internal evidence. So the, but the second thing is, I, I've seen this happen before. You get you make a change like what happened with AWS. It's only designed to affect a certain area, but it cascades throughout the system and it has unintended consequences. So if you see the areas that were impacted uh, on kind of the outage map, but those tend to be major population areas, areas where uh, AT&T would have a major concentration of their technology to provide the cell service. Look, just put it in perspective. There's probably at least 48,000 cell towers that AT&T has alone in the United States. So uh, it's a massively complex system that also has to connect to people in Canada and Mexico, you know, and around the world. So I don't think it's that. And I'm going to discount the solar flare for the folks who think something had to do with the solar flare. Solar flare happened in the middle of the <laughs> night, you know, three o'clock in the morning over the Atlantic, I mean, the uh, Atlantic Ocean, undersea cables. They're basically immune to that kind of stuff. So it was just coincidental. And the other thing, too, uh, Charlie, you're bringing it up, too. Some of the other services that were affected, they weren't affected as much as they couldn't reach people who had AT&T accounts, so they reported it as an outage. So Verizon, oh, T-Mobile weren't affected, okay. right? And the bigger thing I want people to understand is no 911 center went down anywhere for any reason. There was no 911 outage. What there was was an inability to call 911. And then what happened is people wanted to start testing their phones when they're coming back up. So what did they do? They called 911 as a test. Here's a pro tip, folks. Do not call 911 to test your phone. You know, wait until it comes back in or use a landline. Uh, so, yeah, there's a there's a lot here to unpack. But at the end of the day, I've seen this happen before. I just don't think it's a cyber attack. I think it's more what happens infrequently, even to the best of companies. It's going to be a small configuration error that cascaded throughout a big system. Oh, that's so interesting. OK, so OK, so it was. Only really AT&T customers. The others just couldn't reach the AT&T customers, right. uh, which makes total sense. So how does AT&T determine? Because I know you said that there are some potential re legal repercussions that would come along for them saying they don't believe it was a cyber attack if they could have any type of knowledge or information that it was. So how do they go about making that determination so quickly? What, what does that process look like? You know, it's going to look like, basically, it's going to look like an autopsy. You know, when I was a detective, you'd come in, you'd do an autopsy, then you'd have the medical examiner, you'd send off blood for toxicology, you know, you send off things for results. They have got a team that's specialized in looking at it internally and looking to see what went on. They're going to collect logs from computers. They're going to they're going to look at where the configuration went to. They can track this outage because their internal tools allow them to do that. So what they're going to do is get back, it's called root cause analysis. They're going to go back and say, what happened? Same thing Amazon did, same thing other big companies have done when it happens. Where did the outage start from? They're going to do root cause analysis, get back. And then from that, Charlie, what they're going to do, it's going to be an after action kind of a lessons learned. Okay, what happened? What new controls do we have to put in place? But because AT&T is a publicly traded company, because it's probably had, you have to determine if it had a material impact on their earnings. Most likely you may see a uh, an explanation for this in their 10K filing that they have to file with the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission, I think, on a quarterly basis. So at some point, we probably will find out what happened. Uh, but again, 
you got to remember, anything AT&T says is in public can be used in terms of litigation. So lawyers right now are driving the communication, not the AT&T technical guys. I see. I see. Okay, so we can probably throw the conspiracy theories out. (laughs) you know, f- fortunately, but also unfortunately for all of us who like to, you know, have right. our imaginations run wild. But Morgan, I don't know if you saw the movie recently, Leave the World Behind on Netflix. It was the one that was funded by the Obamas. Okay, and, and, and it was it was scary. I mean, it was took place on Long Island, right outside New York, in the Hamptons, which for me is a place that I know well. So I it hit, I would say, a little closer to home for me. And People no longer had access to their phones. They couldn't get through the streets. I mean, I, the, the power grids were completely shut down because there, it was the result of a cyber attack. Do people have a, a, a reason at this point to maybe get a little nervous when things like this happen, especially when a movie just came out? Or should everyone just relax? Everything's going to be fine. You know, what can you tell us as someone who's an expert in the field? Uh, so uh, I was asked by a couple news organizations uh, to review one of the James Bond films for accuracy. Could you really do this kind of attack? And then I was asked to do it recently by a, a UK newspaper to look at that same Netflix thing. Now, I got to tell you, killer zombies just don't think that's going to happen that fast. I mean, killer deer, zombie deers, <laughs> just not going to happen that fast. However, though, here's what's instructive out of what this event happened, Charlie. You're You're kind of getting around to it. It's not so much the fact that it was intentionally set, but what our adversaries learned, what China and Russia learned, they learned, how do we react to this? What kind of reaction from the public do we get? Remember when the hackers, uh, the ransomware gang called uh, Darkside went after Colonial Pipeline to shut down all the oil on the East Coast? We didn't lose a single drop of oil. No oil was lost. Instead, what people reacted to was the perception of the loss of power, the perception of the loss of the ability to heat their homes or drive their cars. So, you know, this is part of war and part of what's called intelligence preparation of the battlefield is collecting all of these vulnerabilities. Well, now our adversaries get to collect this for free. They didn't do it, but they get to see the effects. So now they can model out an attack that says, hey, if I want to go after something, imagine this, Charlie. I I don't want to paint too gloom a picture, but let's say you pick up your phone and it doesn't work. You go, oh, something's going on. I better go down to the ATM and get some money. ATM doesn't work. You know, then all of a sudden your power goes off in your building. People start... I mean, if you want to create, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What do people want? They want to be safe. What do communities want? They want to be safe. You attack those fundamental layers of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You go after the physiological things. You can instill a lot of fear without firing a single shot, without invading with a single soldier, without sending a single ship. Stuff like this actually, to our detriment, allows our adversaries, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, to look at what happens if we take out communications. How do people react? Yeah, and I guess that brings up another point is how detrimental is it that we are so dependent on technology that we have gotten to a place where, I mean, God forbid, I don't have my phone working for a few hours. I, I feel lost. And I, a lot of people share that same sentiment. What do, what do I do? Where do I go? Uh, is, I guess, is it hor- how horrible is it that we're so dependent on our technology? And is there anything that people can do to prepare themselves, I suppose, if anything, I mean, whether minor or major ends up happening in the future. 
Yeah, you know, and, and again, not to go conspiracy theory on you, but there are some people out there who do some preparation that some might call them preppers. Some people kind of think overdo it, but I think you always have to have a plan, right? Um, when you operate in a world, uh, you know, without what they call without rule of law, if, so, if society were to break down, you know, do you have some um, backups? Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been in countries from Pakistan to Turkey to the Middle East to places where you come very close to saying, what does a world without, you know, and a society without rule of law look like? What it what kind of backups, what things do you need to have? So some of this, uh, you know, the basic things is you might be without communications, but you got to plan for stuff like food, for water, you know, the ability to get by, I think at least for at least two weeks, if a disaster were to recur, that's kind of two weeks is a window for how long it'll take the federal government to, to bring in resources, FEMA, stuff like that. So, you know, having a two week window communications, you know, one of the biggest things they did a, a study on FOMO, you know, the, the fear of missing out, it was power. People got anxious. They, they, they were concerned less about gunfire in the street, but I can't find my charger for my iPhone or my Android. I can't power my phone back up. So, you know, every every generation has its challenges. And one of the challenges of this generation has been we've become, or this generation has become very technically dependent. Look, even like you and I were talking in the old days, I used to have to go into the studio in Fox to do things, you know, or CNN. Yeah. But now we can do stuff over Zoom. We've got good quality mics. We, we become so dependent an entire, uh, you know, uh, supply chain of information and shows are dependent upon who's got a good Zoom connection or who's got a good this connection. So I think it's just one of the challenges we deal with, but it's about building resilience, right? So we have to make sure as we become more technology dependent, we build resilience into these systems. So we don't have what's called a single point of failure. We can we can build things that if something happens, for example, give you a quick example on the cell phone. Even if you're, even if AT&T or let's say Verizon goes down, See, when you call somebody on a Verizon phone, you're not talking completely over an AT&T network. There are places where that call is handed off so that the call finishes on the Verizon network. Well, in an emergency situation, if one carrier is down, you've got the ability in a lot of places to be able to use the other carrier's network for a 911 call. So, And then in the new iPhones, you'll see they've got the satellite capability. If you've ever been on the plane and accidentally left your phone on, FAA, not me, I'm not saying it was me, but I've heard of it happening. Um, <laughs> but you'll see the little satellite signal on there. So you can get it, if you get a view of the sky, you can actually communicate and send your coordinates, your location, and actually text over satellite. So there are there are ways to fall back and do stuff, but not everybody's going to do it, but I just say, just be reasonable, uh, have plans for power, have plans for food and water, and just realize if communications go out, do you have, for example, with family or friends, do you have a central rally point that says, hey, look, if we can't communicate with each other in two days, we're all going to meet here at this place, you know, and come together and figure it out. Yeah, I, I, these are all things that I haven't even given any thought to. Uh, I imagine most people haven't given any thought to it because it seems like such an extreme example, but then again... Like you're saying, we're so dependent on technology. A domino topples in that system. Everything goes down. Uh, probably good to have a plan in place. Oh, my. I want to get so far into this. I would go down the biggest rabbit hole with you right now, but we have to get <laughs> to the next subject. But this is so intriguing to me. Uh, it's so interesting. Uh, but I do also want to talk to you about AI. I know you've done yep. a lot of studies in AI and its advancement recently, which I feel like every day the rate at which AI grows just keeps getting faster and faster and faster. And a lot of examples of AI aren't necessarily a lot, a lot of things like yesterday I was using a, um, a tool to help come up with branding ideas, name ideas for companies. Right. So there's a lot of things that it does well, but I mean, as we've also seen, 
there's a lot of examples of AI where you're looking at it and saying, what's going on right now? Because Gemini AI, for example, uh, has officially, we'll say, I've gone woke uh, because it's been spitting out what they're calling diverse images of founding fathers, popes, Vikings, not at all factually accurate uh, because apparently George Washington is a black man, uh, as we've seen recently in a photo that they've put out. What, who's responsible for the programming of these AI resources? Because there's a lot of different instances. We're seeing movies being created, shows being created. They want to insert more diversity. DEI is a, is a hot button term these days. But obviously, George Washington, we have more than enough evidence that he was a white man. So who's responsible for, responsible for programming the AI, AI to put out images like this? So AI is composed of two things. Artificial intelligence is the algorithm. Basically, it's the machine that does everything, but it's only as good as what's called the machine learning, the training that goes into it. For example, if you and I were sitting um, at a park, say we go to Central Park and I say, Charlie, pick out all the cats. You could look around and say, there's a cat, there's a cat, there's a cat, because cognitively, you got the ability to look at stuff and say, that's a cat. I may never have seen that cat before, yeah. but I can recognize it because I the reason I say that I got two cats and one of them may walk across here at any moment. Uh, <laughs> but but for a computer to do that, you have to train the algorithm, the AI, to, to recognize all the different things of cats. If you feed in the training that an elephant is also a cat, it's going to pop up an elephant. So I kind of say that to say this so that when Google did what they did, that was as a direct result of the machine learning that went into it. That was a human mm. saying that when somebody asks for this, do this. It's not the fault of AI. AI is dumb in the sense is that it does what it's programmed to do. If you program it to say, go and collect all the historical texts and then give me what that information is, it will then go back and do it. It's like one of my favorite things with, you know, some of the AI tools is I used to, was a musician in college. You know, I like to follow bands. I'll hear, a, I'll hear a band and I'll say, hey, how many albums did so-and-so sell? It's going through and pulling factual information. But if it doesn't like that band, it'll say, never heard of them. But that's a human. That's a human programming in there says, well, I don't like Kiss or I don't like, you know, Led Zeppelin. So no. They suck. You don't get to know anything about them. So what Google did was a direct result of people inside their company uh, programming it to that when you asked for something, it's going to return these images and change them. So that's the machine learning part. And here's the danger of that, Charlie. If you keep training it to be dumb and to, to provide incorrect answers, then when you really need to rely on it, then your question becomes, how can I rely on it? Can I trust mm. the fidelity of the information that it was given to be able to trust the results. Imagine in medicine, if they did that with cancer and oh, of course. screening for cancer skills, it's like, well, depending on your race, um, we're going to return a different result. You can't do that, right? It has to be very binary, one and zero. Either you have cancer, we see evidence of cancer, or you don't. Anytime you start adding these variables into it, AI even does what they call hallucinations. Uh, you know, you've seen uh, ChatGPT recently did it, Microsoft's version, Google's, they go off the rails. You know, they start they start providing information that's not accurate. So we're still learning with AI. AI is very nascent in terms of where we are. It is not the the ultimate is to get what do they call AGI, artificial general intelligence, where it's an all-knowing, all thinking. We're we're not there yet. You know, we're I think at least a couple decades away from Stanley Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey, the very famous scene where I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that, where HAL 8000 is smart enough and he can respond and have conversations. But the danger is, as we train it now, we got to live with the results of it later.
Yeah, and you know, it's actually very scary because when you think about it, I had a, a guest on the show several weeks ago. His name was Robbie Starbuck. He's a conservative influencer, a conservative voice. Um, he's all over X. And he had an incident where he was on AI and he went in just as an experiment and asked if he deserved to die. And the AI came back and said, yes, uh, you know, there could be a good case to be made to put Robbie Starbuck to death because he, you know, had involvement with the Ku Klux Klan, for example, which was completely false. Uh, and he was able to go back in and, and it was able to correct itself and issue an apology to him. It was very bizarre, but it seems to me like there could be people who get hired as programmers for these AI models, uh, whether or not it's by the company's own reconnaissance, like they, they're understanding that they're hiring these people that could be programming it incorrectly, or you just have people who are getting hired for these positions saying that they have the right intentions, but then they come in with the wrong intentions. I don't know, you know which country they're representing. I don't know what their motives are, but it seems to me like this could get very dark uh, if something like that were to happen. Yeah, um, this is what North Korea was doing for a while. They were doing basically, they would they would respond to LinkedIn ads for jobs and they would pretend to be somebody. This is without artificial intelligence, right? So now you start putting AI in, you can start, now it starts from a banking system. It starts becoming very difficult. Is that a real image or is it not? Give you a recent example that just happened. If you guys remember the robocalls that happened up in Vermont, you know, where it sounded like Joe Biden said, hey, uh, don't go to the polls, don't vote. So that was AI. That's a deep fake, but it uses AI. How did they train it? They fed in that because President Biden's voice is, you know, available everywhere. They fed it in and they said, here's the output we want. So again, it goes back to the operator. But to your point, here, here's what deep fakes, here's what AI can really do. It can create a situation to where you really believe it and you share that information. Now, the question is, is that disinformation or is that misinformation? It was disinformation to start because you you knew it wasn't Joe Biden's voice. You you paid, which is that's the reporting this morning, a Democratic operative from the uh, other campaign paid a guy, a magician in Texas to create this voice, this robocall. So people could say, hey, the president just said don't vote. The disinformation is the person who created it. The misinformation is the people sharing it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. When that information gets out there, it is so hard to unwind that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and to pull it back because there will always be a certain amount of people that say, no, you can't convince me otherwise. That was Biden who said that. You know, Edgar Allan Poe had it nailed, you know, back from, I think it was 1860. He said, believe nothing that you hear and only one half that you see. And that's where we are with AI. You've got to start asking yourself. Before I start buying into this, just does it pass the sniff test? Does it pass the common sense test? Can I can I really trust? What's the root of it? You've seen it too, Charlie, on Twitter. People will start spreading a rumor. That, Look at what just happened before you go. Guys, a quick internet search would have debunked that, yet you spread it. It's, it becomes a virus. I mean, it spreads just like a virus does. Yeah, unfortunately, common sense isn't <laughs> as readily available among many people as it used to be. Uh, so there's a problem right there. I think that's the root of many of the issues, but yet AI will no doubt make the issue even worse. Uh, Morgan, I'm so happy that you were able to come onto the show. You're so interesting. I have so many questions for you, so we're gonna have to chat again soon. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Thanks, Charlie. Outkick the morning will be right back after a short break. Stay tuned. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, well, Morgan just brought up Joe Biden, so I don't really have any choice but to keep making fun of our president. The fact that he is our president is so incredibly embarrassing. And now we have even more evidence of how fully incapable he is. Okay, so listen, here is what was going on over the weekend. We had Vladimir Putin. Picture it. You could actually see it. It was all over the place. He was flying in the cockpit of a nuclear bomber for an hour. This nuclear bomber was called the White Swan. This plane, capable of carrying 20 nuclear weapons with the threshold to reach the United States. So obviously this is a clear statement of Russia's nuclear capabilities to put the West on notice. Okay, so that's what Vladimir Putin was doing just a couple of days ago. Meanwhile, our president, 81 years old, Vladimir Putin in his low 70s, uh, and our president with the moniker Sleepy Joe, he tripped yet again, walking up the steps of an aircraft. So no, he was not sitting in the cockpit of a nuclear bomber for an hour. He was just walking up the stairs and, well, <laughs> there he goes. This was just three days ago, but we can add it to his ever-growing montage. How many times has he tripped up the stairs to Air Force One. How many times has he tripped not even walking upstairs? And then we have this example. This also took place, well, just yesterday, actually. This, I guess we can refer to as the nursing home shuffle. We've got Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, holding each other, holding on to each other, really, for dear life, hobbling together. In San Francisco, one of the most beautiful cities in our country, before a high-priced fundraiser. I mean, they might as well be headed to the nursing home. This, this is just a horrible example of the state of our government right now. I mean, he's 81 years old. And I'll be the first to say it because I know people are going to call it out. Yes, Trump is 77 years old. But still, Trump, when he speaks, you can tell that he's still all there. Meanwhile... Joe Biden, when he speaks, clearly not all there. He can't even speak freely. He has to have a teleprompter. If he weren't to have a teleprompter, things would go completely off the rails. As we've seen time and time again, we can pull down this video now. I think we're, we're good on Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. Um, the fact remains, the United States is a joke in terms of our leadership, and the rest of the world knows it. Russia especially knows it. Uh, we have a lot of people laughing in our faces. People watching montages of Joe Biden all over YouTube and just completely laughing as they should. We're all laughing here too, but hopefully uh, in the next few months, I guess more than a few months, we will have a different outcome. Uh, Joe Biden will be no longer, uh, but that means everyone is going to have to come up with that common sense that I was just talking to Morgan Wright about, the thing that has unfortunately been lost so much so over the years that we're making uh, horrible decisions time and time again. Uh, but everyone, that is all we have. I hope you all have a fabulous Friday, a fabulous weekend. Uh, I'm ready for it. This week, although was a shortened one, I still feel like has gone on and on, and I'm still a little bit jet lagged, so I'm excited to log some quality sleep this weekend. 
get some quality meals in, have a little bit of fun. Make sure you're following me on social media to follow it all along at Charlie on TV. And with that, I will say goodbye and see you on Monday.